habeas corpus is a civil lawsuit that is filed against the warden of the prison for unconstitutionally holding a person in prison against their rights. It's a motion that you file, and they have a hearing at the prison. Basically saying, you have no legal authority to hold this body in prison. (laughs) Carrie Robinson was sentenced to 20 years for a brutal rape in South Georgia off a verdict based on two pieces of evidence that should have never been accepted as reliable incentivized testimony from a co-defendant, and the inaccurate testimony of a DNA analyst. After losing his direct appeal for a new trial, Carey began serving hard time with the knowledge it was for a crime that he did not commit. But there was still hope and an opportunity for Carey's freedom. This is The 4% a podcast about one man's story of wrongful conviction, factors that led to it, and the people who fought to free him. I am L. Duncan. The criminal legal system is a human system. Claire Gilbert is the former executive director of the Georgia Innocence Project. We heard from her in episode one. At every single point in the process, decisions are made, and people make mistakes. People make bad decisions. People do things intentionally that they shouldn't be doing. Those often result in wrongful convictions. Claire introduced us to some of the factors that consistently contribute to wrongful convictions. And I'm going to hit you with some $10 legal terms, so follow closely with me. These contributing factors, they include eyewitness misidentification, false confessions, inadequate defense, misused forensic science, official misconduct, and incentivized testimony. Carrie's wrongful conviction was impacted by several of these factors. And when investigating wrongful convictions, the Georgia Innocence Project thinks about two very specific ways to define them. One is the conviction of an innocent person that did not commit the crime. Another is a conviction that violated someone's rights or that the Constitution was violated. And the conviction is unjust. That fits with a definition of exoneration from the National Registry of Exonerations, which we turn to for a lot of our data. The Georgia Innocence Project, or GIP for short, hasn't only identified what factors typically are present in wrongful conviction cases. They're also working on solutions. The Georgia Innocence Project is particularly concerned with the type of wrongful convictions where an innocent person is convicted of a crime that they did not commit. Oftentimes, that involves constitutional rights violations, so that's where they overlap. A reminder that 
even before the GIP became involved in Carrie's case, DNA scientist Dr. Greg Hampikian and Georgia attorney Rodney Zell were working, for free, to help prove that Carrie was an innocent man, wrongfully imprisoned by the state. Now, at this point, Carrie had already been in prison for six years, and the appeals were getting nowhere. So they began to petition the Superior Court to file what's called a habeas corpus. If that motion is granted, you have a chance to go back to court. Before we get into the habeas corpus proceedings in Carrie's case, we should probably review some basic science. There's two types of DNA in regard to, to, to this case, an explanation of this case. Sometimes we have DNA from a single person, what we call a single contributor. It's easy. I could teach, you know, a nine-year-old to do that well. Uh, all you're looking at is peaks on a graph and numbers, and if they match the evidence, then, then it's most likely, you know, this person contributed, or here's the statistics that say how many people could have contributed in addition to this suspect who matches it. Or you look at it and say, this is not the suspect. <laughs> this is somebody else. They don't match at, at a few of these peaks. In short, when you're analyzing the DNA in a single perpetrator rape case, it's fairly straightforward. You examine the DNA from the vaginal sample collected from the rape survivor after the assault. Then you basically remove the DNA profile of the rape survivor, and the DNA profile remaining in the sample likely will be that of the perpetrator. However, Remember, the DNA used to convict Carrie was a mixture of multiple people's DNA, up to four people. This is much, much more complicated to interpret. The other type of evidence was a mess at that time in the field, and that was mixture DNA. And mixture DNA kind of became an obsession for me, trying to, to get the system to stop doing crazy interpretations with mixture DNA, which is what was going on, which is what happened in Carrie's case. Attorney Rodney Zell felt they could win the habeas proceedings if Dr. Hampikian could just show the judge how Carrie's rights were violated. They argued that violation happened when the DNA analyst from the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, or GBI, was allowed to give inaccurate and exaggerated testimony interpreting this very complex mixture of DNA results from the sexual assault kit. In order to prove that to the judge, Dr. Hampikian first needed to re-examine the evidence relied upon by the GBI. And that's when they started hitting roadblocks at every turn. First, Dr. Hampikian and Attorney Zell tried to get the GBI to provide a copy of the computer records documenting the original DNA test. So the electronic records come right off of their machinery. They're stored in the computer, and I can take those records and blow up certain sections I want to look at more carefully with this, you know, $60,000 software that we have to buy to do this. Five years after Carrie was convicted, attorney Rodney Zell made a standard public records request for the computer records with the GBI's DNA results. 
they told us, oh, that computer was, you know, lost. It was archived and we can't find it. And I was like, no, you have to have a record of a case somewhere. Okay, so you should know that the GBI and other government entities are required by law to store records for years for reasons just like this. Attorney Rodney Zell and Dr. Hampikian kept searching for any evidence they could find, urging the GBI to look again to find the extremely important DNA test results. But the response from the GBI was not exactly helpful. Oh, well, the the evidence is on another old computer that's been archived, and we can't find it, and uh, we can just send you what we have. I'm like, I can't do that analysis. Dr. Hampikian didn't need to re-examine the DNA profiles of each person involved in the case, which were the reference samples collected from cheek swabs that the GBI offered to provide. Dr. Hampikian, he needed to see the DNA results from the vaginal sexual assault kit sample that was collected from the rape survivor immediately after the sexual assault occurred. Without those computer records documenting the DNA results, attorney Rodney Zell and Dr. Hampikian had almost nothing to work with. But they didn't give up. They kept at it, pushing to collect that data from the GBI for nearly a decade. Rodney pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, and finally then they found that, too, miraculously. You know, this this awful garbage that a prisoner has to put up with. I did a lot of open records requests. Uh, sometimes it took multiple ones to get them to respond or to get them to look at things. They also tried to locate and test other biological samples from the sexual assault kit, samples from the crime scene that had never been tested by the GBI. But, well... That evidence was gone, too. The rape kit had been destroyed. Since 2003, there was a statewide law in Georgia requiring preservation of biological evidence from sexual assault kits. But the state had unlawfully destroyed the samples from the sexual assault kit in this case in 2004, one year after the law requiring them to preserve it went into effect. They had to rely on the old, outdated DNA test results and just reanalyze those results rather than being able to independently test a, a new corresponding sample from the same rape kit, but they couldn't do that because they destroyed it. it turns out destruction of physical evidence is pretty common in the wrongful conviction cases that Georgia Innocence Project encounters. We asked former GIP executive director Claire Gilbert what happened in Carrie's case when the GBI computer records went missing and the state destroyed critical biological evidence, contrary to law. It's the same thing that happens in all these cases. Nothing. And there was another problem, too. In addition to roadblocks accessing evidence, Carrie was facing roadblocks just accessing the courts. Attorney Rodney Zell was having difficulty even getting a court date for the habeas corpus proceedings. Normally when a 
prisoner does a habeas corpus, the jurisdiction is where the person's incarcerated, regardless of where the conviction was. And at one point, we kept getting these court dates to go to court, and Carrie kept getting transferred. They will not tell lawyers. They will not tell you. I remember at one point, we had, he had gotten transferred to one institution, and we had a, we, a court date was set. I mean, it was six months out, but we still, at least we had a court date. And we get to like, you know, I don't know if it was, it was days, maybe a week at the most before his court date. And he gets transferred again. He'd already been waiting years because he'd been transferred, I think at one point, six times in two years, they transferred it. So he got knocked back to the beginning of the line again. Carrie kept getting transferred from prison to prison. I went to like 10 or 11 prisons. So while Dr. Hampikian worked on unlocking the DNA piece and attorney Rodney Zell maneuvered through the legal options, Carrie sat there, passing the time by staying focused, in the prison's law library with every chance he could get, combing over his case or those that were similar. Once you get to studying your situation, don't nobody know your situation better than you. So you know exactly what to look for because... It been times where after after a couple of years, me and Rodney be writing back and forth. He might send me and say he gonna use this case, and I write him back and say no, use this case. It's my situation, and he always listen. It's important to point out these letters back and forth were snail mail. Sometimes weeks might pass before they would hear from each other. Things were looking bleak for Carrie, but his legal team didn't want to give up. An innocent man was in prison. In 2010, a few years after the habeas corpus was filed, while attorney Rodney Zell was dealing with the legal intricacies surrounding Carrie's situation, Dr. Hampikian devised a plan to help sway public opinion on Carrie's case by using the media. If we swab some people at Fox News and then... Ask the GBI, you know, would they be included in this mixture? Maybe one of the reporters would also be a match, and that would demonstrate, you know, how these these people at GBI are getting this wrong. Here's a news report from an Atlanta investigative team Dr. Hampikian worked with. The GBI crime lab has analyzed DNA evidence that has successfully convicted the guilty and freed the innocent. But some now question how the crime lab interprets DNA cases when multiple suspects are involved. Our I-team examines the case of a convicted rapist and why experts say the DNA evidence used against him was wrong. And uh, gave him the swabs. They swabbed uh, four people at Fox News, sent them back to my lab. We did the DNA. We had our DNA tested and then compared it to the evidence in a gang rape case. The same evidence used to help convict Kerry Robinson. I did the analysis the way the GBI did the analysis. And then they asked the GBI to confirm, and the GBI agreed that all of them would be included as the potential rapists. Under GBI policy, the Georgia Crime Lab would conclude that all four of the Fox 5 employees could not be excluded as suspects in this case. And not only that, one of their employees matched the DNA evidence more than Kerry Robinson did. And it was, a, I think, a 22-year-old white female intern. That was just the most beautiful demonstration to me of how sloppy these interpretations had gotten. The labs were just including people willy-nilly. 
I was hoping with all of this that it would be enough to sway the judge. And unfortunately, it was not for the habeas corpus. It was a really successful endeavor in terms of the creativity. The justice system, though, is not impressed with creativity. It's often not impressed with new science. But even after all the evidence was presented, the habeas judge said it was simply a difference of expert opinion. You know, during the hearing, Mr. Hampinkin stated to the judge, he said this, if Kerry Robinson committed this crime, he said I did also. The theory was, in the habeas proceedings, to show that the testimony of the analyst was overstated and inaccurate. So they're trying to establish the science for the judge to show that the person had made a mistake. And the judge said, it's just a difference of opinion. There's, you're, you're, this is not something that can be corrected here. And so they lost their habeas. The judge denied the habeas corpus petition in 2015, seven years after it was originally filed. Carrie Robinson had now spent 13 years of his life wrongfully incarcerated. But fortunately, Carrie had two unshakable allies in his corner, attorney Rodney Zell and Dr. Hampikian, and they did not give up on Carrie or his case. Three years later, in 2018, the GBI finally found and turned over the long-lost DNA records. The same computer records the GBI had said for almost a decade were missing. Dr. Hampikian promptly had the DNA results analyzed using new DNA interpretation technology, which by that point was also being used by the GBI. And that new computer interpretation showed what Kerry and his legal team had been saying all along. The GBI analyst that testified at Kerry's trial had got it wrong. Rather than showing guilt, the DNA results reflected Kerry's innocence. Armed with that additional new evidence, Kerry's legal team tried yet again to secure his freedom from wrongful imprisonment. The only other mainstream mechanism that is available in Georgia to challenge your conviction at that stage is an extraordinary motion for new trial. An extraordinary motion for new trial allows a defendant to challenge a conviction based on newly discovered evidence. And that is ultimately what was filed with the Georgia Innocence Project and Rodney Zell. The team prepared for a Hail Mary effort for exoneration. You can understand why attorney Rodney Zell was skeptical. After all, it had been 15 years since he and Carrie first wrote to each other, and time and time again, their efforts for justice were blocked. But you have to go, you go forward with it. You know, you, you said, this is enough, and let's go forward on it. The incentivized testimony of Carrie's co-defendant, the inaccurate testimony from the DNA analyst, the destroyed evidence after trial. All of these factors played into an innocent person spending nearly two decades behind bars. As a society, we're told to presume someone is innocent, 
until proven guilty. But if you're wrongfully convicted like Carrie, you're presumed guilty, and the innocence gets harder and harder to prove as time goes by. On top of that, a largely disproportionate number of incarcerated people in this country and an even greater proportion of wrongfully incarcerated innocent people are people of color. And the more that you can sort of think about the problem of wrongful convictions in the broader context of everything that is wrong with our criminal legal system, why do we incarcerate so many people and for so long And why are the majority of those people black and brown when they don't, black and brown people do not comprise the majority of the population? Of the close to 600 people that have been exonerated using DNA since 1989, about 66% of them are black and brown people. That's not happenstance, folks. People of color are held to a different standard of innocence in our legal system. Too often, they have to fight the justice system and institutional bias. A key question in so many of these cases, why was it so easy to convict him on so little evidence, such unreliable evidence? That's a question that applies in these cases again and again and again when so little evidence is used to convict people. In our next episode, we hear what happened with the extraordinary motion for new trial, and we'll hear about the solutions to wrongful conviction factors that Georgia Innocence Project is fighting for. The 4% is an original podcast created by Zapier in partnership with the Georgia Innocence Project and Pineapple Street Studios. As the leader in easy automation, Zapier empowers over 2 million businesses to automate workflows and move data across 5,000 apps. The 4% is produced by Stephen Key. Our associate producer is Lisa Cerde, and we had help from Natalie Brennan. Our production coordinator is Himia Freeman. Our editors are Leela Day, Joel Lovell, and Maddie Sprunkheiser. This show is mixed by Marina Paez. Music from Epidemic Sound. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Day Roche. Our executive producer is J.N. Berry. Our production partners at Zapier are Carly Moulton, and the Zapier Studios team, including Gina King and Brittany Fleet. And from the Georgia Innocence Project, Bliss Savage, Mike Colesalter, Matt Holbrook, and Marty Ellen. Finally, a special thanks to Carrie Robinson for sharing his story with us. The next episode will be out in a week, so make sure to listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Elle Duncan, and thank you for listening. <laughs>